Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 4. Now, I'm going to read this whole section that we're going to try to cover tonight. But here's the thing. We're not going to cover it in order because I'm going to show you in a little bit. I think that the best way to deal with the end of chapter 1 is to get to chapter 2 before you get to chapter 1. It'll make sense in a second here. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 4. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I, whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, as we have been studying um, Paul's attitude in the face of suffering, we need to learn a couple of things. First of all, God does not expect us to be the, become the Apostle Paul. All right, There's a danger when we start trying to be like Paul. And Paul even says that. And go look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Look at, look at what he says here in Philippians 4, verse 9. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, I, I want you to, to, to model the life that I live. Now, with that, there's a tendency for us to think that that means we have to live like Paul. Be careful. There, there, we do need to live in the same way that Paul does with his attitudes and his actions. But please be reminded, the life that God had for Paul doesn't mean that that's the life that God has for you. Remember in the parable of talents, he gave one five and another two and another one. He doesn't expect us to be the same. When Jesus told Peter how he was going to die, his immediate fleshly reaction was, what about John? You know, how's he going to die? And what did Jesus say? What if I want him to remain alive until I return? That, that, what's that to you? Follow me. He has a life for each of us. So don't automatically assume that as we look at what Paul's teaching here, that we're all going to become like the Apostle Paul. Hopefully in your attitudes and your actions and understanding the spiritual truths that he lived by, but don't think that the life God had for Paul is the life that he's going to have for you. Because that will help you. Because we have a tendency to look at others. When we're going through suffering, as we're going to talk about tonight, there's a tendency when we go through suffering to try to... Well, we always say this, don't we? Misery loves what? We love, misery loves company. We, we'd, if we feel better if someone else is struggling. But what if they're not? What if they're not? What if they're not going through the things we... I mean, I know of, as being a pastor for 20 years, that, that there were times that people would um, be trying to have a baby. And they couldn't. And they tried for years. Some teenager on a date gets pregnant in the backseat of the car. And they started to get a little angry at God. Because there was a, a, an assumption in all of our minds that life's going to be equal in the sense of suffering. The Bible doesn't teach that. Actually, if you go back and look at Paul's life, at the very beginning in Acts chapter 9, when he gets blinded by the Lord and he comes to faith and, 
God sends Paul to Ananias to go heal him of his blindness. And God tells Ananias, I'm sending this guy Saul. He's coming to you and I want you to lay your hands on him and heal him. And then God makes an interesting statement. He said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul's life was a life of imprisonments, beatings, shipwreck, stoned and left for dead, dragged out the outside the city and left for dead. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that if you're really walking with Christ, all that's going to happen to you too. But understand that there are some principles when Paul says, whatever you've seen in me or heard from me or learned from me, put these into practice. There are some, there's a mindset that we have to acknowledge Paul has. How often does he keep saying as he's writing from prison, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. There's an attitude of walking with Christ in the midst of suffering that we need to learn. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you've got to be like Paul and go through everything Paul went through or else you're not doing it right. No. But understand the attitudes and the principles behind it. Okay? Now, in chapter 1, verse 27 and following, Paul now moves away from his attitudes and actions that we've been looking at already and his, to his desire for the Philippians' attitudes and actions. So he says, let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, in the original language, it actually is kind of put this way. It, the term, it, it means make sure your, 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 your life has equal weight with the gospel that we preach. In other words, make sure your behavior matches the gospel that you, that you and we preach. In other words, it's easy to say one thing. It's hard to actually live it out. And he's saying we need to make sure that as we share the gospel, that we're living out the truths of the gospel. And I'm going to come at it from an interesting angle we love to say this in Christendom, that those of us who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, we're, we're not in a religion, but we have a what? Relationship. A relationship. Well, let me ask you a question. You've just said, and we love to say, we're not in a religion, but we're in a relationship. Are you walking with him in such a way that your actions show that you're in a relationship? Or... Are your actions showing that you're in a religion? You see, we have a tendency to say the right thing. We know how to say the right thing. But how many of us, like in that illustration I shared before we started recording, how many of us know how to listen to him and walk with him and talk with him and know when he's leading and when he's guiding and when he's saying no and when he's saying yes? How many of us have turned the Christian life into a set of rules and we just try to follow the rules? We go to church. We give our tithes. We, we do the right things. That's a religion. That's not a relationship. Is your manner show equal weight with the truth of the gospel? Does God judge you for salvation by what you do? We know the right answer. But don't we tend to think in those times that we slip that God's going to get us? Does your, well, are you living a life a manner, in the word, manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Remember, Paul said that we were to practice what they had heard him say and do. He actually said, "Don't not just what you heard me say, watch how I've lived. Now, let me give you an example of how this is so true. Go to John chapter 16. Let's see if Paul actually lived out now you say, Jim, Paul's not in John 16. Relax. You'll see where we're going in a second here. In John chapter 16, look at verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. 
when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Now I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We know this section. Jesus said, hey, everybody's going to leave me, but I'm not going to be alone. The Father's with me. All right, now go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And look at verses 16, 2 Timothy 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Does anybody, anybody caught this yet? Does anybody understand what's really going on here? Who's talking when Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, Everybody left me, but I wasn't alone. The Lord was with me. It's Jesus living his life through Paul. This is one of the ways that you'll start to realize you're making this progress in your faith. It's not that you know the right answer, but actually you're, you start to respond like Jesus did. I love the fact that the Bible shows us that this same Peter, who wouldn't acknowledge he even knew who Jesus was, once the Spirit came to indwell him, at Pentecost went out and stood in front of these thousands of people and preached that it was Jesus who has died for our sins and risen from the dead, that Jesus was God. And the Bible puts it this way, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, under the control, remember in our study of Ephesians, being filled with the Spirit is allowing the Spirit of God who's already there to have control. Peter, under the control of the Holy Spirit, started saying things, and you know full well, he must have gone back into that upper room afterwards and said, Y'all know that wasn't me. That was Jesus. I actually have a sister-in-law in town. Her name's Carlene, my brother John's wife. And uh, she always says, she says, Jim, I like to hear you preach and teach because it's Jesus that talks through you. Because I know you and I don't really like you. But when you teach, <laughs> when you teach, I hear Jesus. So I don't know if that was a compliment or not. But Paul lived what he was preaching. He's telling them and you're about to see this when we get to chapter 2, that our attitudes and our actions should not come from learning them in a class, but come from a real living relationship where we have learned not only to trust Him for our salvation, but to daily let Him live His life through us. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Paul puts it this way. He says, To this end I labor and struggle with all His energy, which so powerfully works through me. And so when he says to us, are you living a life worthy of the manner of the gospel? I don't want you to hear, are you sinning or not sinning and that kind of stuff. I'm just going to take it from this angle. How you're learning to let Jesus have control. Are you learning how to recognize his leadership and letting him live his life through you? And change you. And change you. Now, go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I want to remind you that this gospel that he's talking about is much more than you need Jesus to go to heaven. 
When we hear the word the gospel, we think of the plan of salvation. The gospel, I hope you understand. And if you don't, I pray that the Spirit of God begins to take you down this road. And he wants to, and I pray you'll let him, I guess, is the better prayer. The gospel is much more than the plan of salvation. The gospel is the whole manner of what it means. Well, as you've already heard me say before, are we saved? Are we being saved? Or will we be saved? That's the gospel. It's that whole thing. It's not a presentation of, oh, you've prayed this prayer, now you're going to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's a portion of the gospel. But the gospel includes the sanctification process of us being conformed into his image, the daily progress of letting him have control. The gospel includes the time when he comes and brings his salvation with him. It's that whole deal. And so when we talk about living a manner worthy of the gospel, it talks about this whole process. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I told you to turn there and I didn't do it. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 8 and 9. He says this, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, he says you're receiving the goal or the outcome of your faith, which is what? The salvation. You're receiving this salvation. It's not, I had salvation, as much as, thank God for the once saved, always saved, true God, uh, part of the gospel and doctrine in the scriptures. The Bible's so clear that if you've truly been born again, if Jesus is in you, if you believe this word of truth, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a guaranteed deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Thank God for the doctrine that shows that if you truly received his spirit, he's holding on to you. You're not holding on to him and you're going to be with him for eternity. But we have taken that gospel, that part of the gospel, and we have taken that doctrine and has caused us to say, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I've already trusted him as my savior. And we put our salvation up on the shelf. And now we've made the goal of our faith a better marriage, a better family. Isn't that kind of how we teach things in the church today? You can have a better life. Yeah, there's a book out that says your best life now. That's not the gospel. The gospel is take this back off the shelf. That was just the beginning of the gospel. You've entered into a relationship and yes, you are sealed, but you're in the process of being saved. And one day he's bringing salvation with him. And even though I don't see him, I believe in him. And I love him. And I'm, oh, listen, this is a tough one. Filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy? Now, let's be flat out honest, folks. Years ago, as God began to teach me this, I remember when I was still pastored in the Atlantic, I went and asked some people in the church. This says that we are filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. How many Christians and how many people in our church do you know are filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. And the people all went like this. They went, hmm, well, there's Mickey Bag. <laughs> they said, I, don't, I can't really think of a whole lot. And I said, you didn't even mention me. <laughs> and, and, and they went, oh, we're sorry, Pastor, we're sorry. No, I said, no, you're right. There's something here. There's more to this walk than just getting through this life to get to heaven. Who's writing this book to us full of all this rejoice, rejoice, rejoice? And where is he? In prison. In prison. And he's about to tell you, and I know you don't like it, but I'm telling you now, get ready for it. He's about to tell you that it's a gift. 
if you're suffering because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. He then says this. He says, go to verse 27 again. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, one mind, and so on. Look at what he says. He says, I want to hear that you're living it out whether I'm there or not. Now, this is an area that I don't know about you, but we all, I think, tend to struggle. It's easy for us to live it out when people are watching, isn't it? Or easier. But when people aren't around, isn't that when you struggle the most in your walk with the Lord? I don't know about you, but when I'm alone, that's when I have the biggest struggle against living it out. And it's sad. Most everyone gets to see our quote-unquote Christian responses except our families. Isn't that true? Because of the struggle that my dad had that I'm going to talk about tomorrow in the service. We would hear things as people would come and they'd say, because at church he had that face on. they say, your dad's such a wonderful man, but we didn't get to see it at home at times because of his frustration. Because he didn't understand rest. Recently, I was at a church and there was a baby dedication. The pastor and his wife were up there together with this young couple as the young couple was dedicating this child. And the pastor was challenging this young couple to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, to raise this child in a godly home, to be the parents that they were supposed to be. And as I sat there, I was hurting inside for that wife because... They had just been talking to me over the last few months. I've known that one of the struggles is, is this pastor had spent more time at the church than he had with his own family, and he was losing a relationship with his own kids. And as the pastor stood up there in front of the church and talked about, you need to do this, and you need to do this, you can do this, I could watch his wife try to put on a smile as she sat there saying, I wish you were preaching in a mirror. See, it's easy for us to do it when people are watching and to put on the show. What happens when people aren't watching? You want to see how you really are doing in this walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? How are you doing when you're alone? And what does your family really say? I thank God because of what he's been doing in my life. I can actually say that in front of my family now and not worry. But it's been a journey for me as well. Paul then tells them, that what he, he tells them specifically what he's looking for in their attitude and actions. He wants them to look closely here at uh, verse 27, the end of 27. I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, one, with one mind, and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Does that sound like a battle? I, want you all, I, I pray that you all have one mind, one spirit, side by side, not scared by your opponents. Sounds like he's talking to them about warfare. Folks, that's what we're in. We don't realize it, but oh, don't get me going down this road. But we spend more of our time in our churches fighting with each other. We've been taught that everybody gets an equal vote. That's not in the Bible. And because of that, we think that we all have a say. I'm a member. I wish there was some way we could 
have people show their commitment to the body and that local body for however long God has them there without them thinking that they have privileges with their membership because, as you know, membership has its privileges. Because of that attitude, we have a tendency to see each other as opponents when it comes to looking at things. When the Bible says, look, he's given you parents. There are overseers. There are elders. There are pastors. There are those who have given that responsibility to lead. Let them do that. You just find out what God has for you to do and you trust the parents. Paul says, here's what I'm looking for. I want you to have one spirit, one mind, and work side by side for the faith of the gospel. Faith of the gospel. Now, here's where we're going to break from the rest of chapter 1. We're going to jump to chapter 2. Because I think the best way to come back at chapter 1 is to jump ahead to what Paul says in chapter 2. All right? So let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Does that sound familiar? Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, we're going to take some time to look at this, because if you notice, here in chapter 2, he's pretty much reiterating what he says, what he's hoping for at the end of chapter 1. But there's something in chapter 2 that we've missed. For too long, myself included, preachers and teachers of the word have focused on verses 2 through 4 and said things like, you need to be of one mind, you need to be of one spirit, you need to be of one accord, you need to be focusing together, you need to be side by side, you need to be... And they focused on us telling us to go live it, right? Paul doesn't do that. If you look closely, he shows that the outcome of the proper attitude and spiritual mindset and action of, remember, that relationship of living out the gospel is what's going to manifest these things. You can't go fix this. I've tried. Daryl will tell you, those of us who have been in the pastoral ministry, we've spent years trying to go tell, teach people how to behave. <laughs> Y'all shouldn't be fighting with each other. Let's get this taken care of. And they usually put on a smile, don't they? And it, it doesn't go away. The attitudes of the people never really change. Rarely did they ever change. Because we didn't focus on verse 1. Look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by then having this. These attitudes and actions should not come from us trying to do better and saying, well, I guess we better get along. No, it's not going to happen that way. The only way it's going to happen is if we individually start really having our life live in a manner of equal weight with the message we preach and we start living out this relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you been saved? Yes. Are you being saved? Your answer should be not yes. Your answer should be, I hope so. And that's, that sounds weird. Yes, the right answer is yes. But let's stop giving the right answer and be honest. Are you being saved? Are you letting Jesus conform you into his image? Is there a progression? Has there been a change? Are you less the rascally husband that you used to be or nagging wife that you used to be? Has there been growth? If the answer is yes, then the answer is yes. But otherwise it needs to be, 
I hope so, and I want it. And I want to focus now more on not living in one mind, but on enjoying the encouragement from being united with Christ. I want the comfort from his love. I want a participation in his spirit, walking in the spirit. Remember how we've already seen in our study from, from Ephesians, or sorry, Galatians, where it says, so I say, if you live by the spirit, walk in the spirit. There's a difference between living by the spirit and walking by the spirit. For those of you that weren't here for that part of the study, let me remind you, if you have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, you are alive because of the spirit. It ain't because of anything you've done, but because God gave you salvation and you're in Christ and because of his spirit, you are alive. But just because you are born again doesn't mean you're walking in the spirit. Otherwise, the scripture wouldn't say if we live by the spirit, then let us walk in the spirit. I'm not asking you, do you live by the spirit? My prayer is that you've been born again and you're saved. I'm asking you, are you walking in the spirit? Oh, by the way, you don't have to answer. We can tell. I don't have to answer. You can tell. The acts of the flesh are obvious, it says in the NIV in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and following. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Dissension, faction, envy, strife, fits of rage, selfish ambition. That's the evidence that the flesh is in control. Doesn't mean you're not saved, that just you let the flesh have control. Oh, but the evidence, we call it the fruit in our Bible, the evidence of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness. We have had the preacher say, you need to have more love, you need to have more patience. You know, and we try to go manufacture what only can come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I say to you now, when I challenge you to live a life worthy of the gospel and manner equal weight with what you preach and what we teach, do not focus on being one of one mind really begin to enjoy this encouragement from being united with Christ. Abide. Abide. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. Exactly. So if you don't try to be the head, or you try to be the arm or the heart. Just find the part that you're supposed to be. And quit looking at other people. You got it. You got it. Now, here's, here's where I want you to see something, though. And this is where the study is going to go in a direction you didn't expect. How then? How do we get encouragement from being in Christ? How do we get comfort from Jesus' love? How do we have participation in the Spirit? How do we have affection and sympathy? <laughs> Be ready. You have to suffer. You have to suffer. I'm going to show you. Go back now. He says, this verse 28 and don't be frightened in anything of chapter 1 verse 20 of chapter 1 and don't be frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God all right for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake all right now here's what I want you to see go with me to um, 1st Peter chapter 1 1st Peter chapter 1 and we'll start in verse 3 He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Thank God for that. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than, precious than gold, which perishes even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and you're filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen to what he says here. He says the same thing that Paul said. He said, thank God for this awesome salvation that we've been given. It's kept in heaven. We're, we're protected by God. But for a time called this sanctification process, this life, by God's design, you've been caused to go through some trials. Why? To prove your faith genuine. Well, what does the Bible say happens to those who aren't really born again when trouble comes? They fall away because they had no root. Or the cares of this world and deceitfulness of wealth choke it because they had no root. But those seed that fell on the good soil, that's the one that produced fruit of real salvation. Actually, you want encouragement from being united with Christ? You want to be encouraged that you're really saved? Go through suffering. It will become evident to you and to those around you whether or not your salvation is real. Vance Havner, back in 1973, his wife died on a Sunday morning at 4 a.m. And I don't know if you know Vance Havner's story, but he loved his wife like you wouldn't believe. He had a relationship with her. They'd only been married 30-something years. He didn't get married till later in life. And for 30-something years, they were together, and he, she traveled with him, and they never had any children. And he didn't even buy a car until he was 60-something years old. It was the first car he'd ever bought, and he said he had to make up his mind. You know, and uh, they just had such an intimate relationship. And she died at 4 in the morning in 1973, and he preached that Sunday at 11. And everybody said, we didn't expect you to be here. And he said this. He said, if my faith is no good at a time like this, then it's no good at all. And he preached from the passage that God had already prepared for him to preach before he knew his wife was going to die. Matthew chapter 11, where John the Baptist is sitting in prison and he says, to Jesus, to his disciples, he says, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus tells him everything is right on schedule. And then he quoted what we call the forgotten beatitude in Matthew 11, verse 6, where he said, blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. Blessed are those who do not fall away on account of how I run my world. The scripture says, in this life you will have what? But we honestly strive to live our lives so that there is no trouble. I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We try our best. We even get insurance so that there's no trouble. So what we're really saying is, Lord, I know you said that in this life we'll have trouble. Could you be wrong in my life? 
Or, as you're going to see tomorrow, we think that rest is when we get a break from trouble. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has what? Enough, Enough trouble. trouble. Listen, folks, the Bible says that you're going to be going through suffering in this life. There's different levels of it. There's different various forms. Now, the Bible also says don't let it be because of sin. There's suffering, there are consequences and because of wrong choices we make. Not, he's, Peter goes on and says, don't, I don't want it to be like that because you're a meddler or a thief or a, or, a, or a murderer. No, no, not because of that. But if you are in Christ, what is his main tool for conforming you into his image? Suffering. suffering. Exactly. In the book of Hebrews, he learned obedience through suffering. I just did a radio program uh, this morning, one of the ones I recorded, and uh, it's not till July, so they'll have forgotten by then. So, but uh, um, John chapter 9, this man was born blind, and these disciples see him, and they say, Jesus, um, who sinned? His parents or him that he was born blind? Because they, they had been taught that if you're suffering, it's because of sin, and God's mad at you, but if you're rich and healthy, then God loves you. And this guy was born blind. It really messed with their theology because they're like, okay, if suffering because, comes because of sin, either his parents sinned and he's being punished for his parents' sin, or he sinned in the womb. I don't know what kind of dastardly deed he could have done in the womb, but what did he do that had him born blind? Listen to what Jesus says. He pretty much says, he said, this suffering has nothing to do with sin, but it's so that God would receive glory. Now, I'm going to rephrase it. Did Jesus just say that this man was intentionally born blind so that he could receive glory? That God could receive glory? Is that what he just said? Yep. Did he just say that God intentionally caused this man to suffer for all these years so that at that moment God could receive glory? Yes. Yep. We got a problem with that, don't we? Yep. Oh, but you better be careful because I promise you on Sunday you're going to sing songs thanking God for the fact that he caused his son to suffer for your glory. We even put on pageants, musicals, dramas. And we praise God that he would cause his son to suffer for our glory, but he dare not cause me suffer for his glory. Oh, you want to be encouraged that you're united with Christ? You want proof that you're really saved? Go through suffering. Because it'll prove your faith genuine if it is. And if it isn't, you don't need to worry about that in the, because you're not his. You got something else to worry about. Do you want comfort from his love? Any idea what you got to do to com get comfort from his love? Suffer. Suffer. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. 
If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, if, if it, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Look at what he says here. God, in our affliction, gives us comfort. He walks us through it, and we're then able to share comfort to others. The comfort that Christ has given us, we're able to pass it on with, with others that are going through that same suffering. How often have you been going through something and somebody might come along and say, well, I know how you feel. And inside you say, you don't know how I feel. You haven't been here. Oh, but what if that person had and you knew it? I thank God for Pat Julep. She came to me years ago when I was pastoring in Atlantic and she had gone through breast cancer. She said, if you have any ladies that are struggling with that, send them to me. Such a blessing because I didn't know what to say. But I could send them to someone who's been there. And she could comfort them with the comfort that she had received. Yes, ma'am. friend of mine put it, God never wastes a hurt. Right. It will let him use us. Yep. But you've got to receive the comfort in your affliction that God is wanting to offer. He has a reason why he's doing this. And he'll give you not only encouragement that it proves that you're his, because you ain't going anywhere. But at the same time, he'll give you a comfort that you, only you can experience. Well, let me just put it to you this way. Uh, a lady actually used to come to our Bible study, Ray. After her husband died, it took about six months, but she came to me afterwards. And, she, and you have to understand, these two had always been together. They traveled in a motorhome together. She came to me and she said, my relationship with the Lord has grown exponentially since he passed away because he has become more real to me than I would have ever experienced without this suffering. Those of you that are going through or have been through suffering, you know what I'm talking about. He's not only encouraged to the fact that you have a relationship with Christ. It's proved your salvation is real because you ain't going anywhere. But also he's given you a comfort that you wouldn't have ever understood unless you'd been through it. Oh, by the way, um, your suffering also produces a fellowship with God's Spirit that nothing else can. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. He said, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Wait a minute, Paul, I thought you were saved. Yes, but I'm being saved, he says. I want to know him more. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that God, sorry, from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We want to stop reading there, but he doesn't stop there. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Look at what Paul says. He says, I want to know Christ, and I know that the only way to really know him is to suffer. Is to go through things with him. Oh, by the way, um, doesn't the Bible describe Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? I can honestly tell you... With all that's going on in our family, with my mom with her Alzheimer's and her Parkinson's and then dying, and then my dad and his health issues and then him dying, and all of a sudden it went from boom, they're gone. 
people say, are you okay? You can honestly say, yeah. Well, you didn't love your parents. No, I love mom and dad. But God is real. Amen. And he walks us through this stuff. For those of you that were there when I preached my mom's service, I didn't think I'd get through it. He gave me a grace that I could. I, I wish I'd have that grace every time I preached. It was amazing. And he'll do it again tomorrow. There's a reality where we actually, well, how's Paul said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship or participation in the Spirit, then you're going to, oh, have affection and sympathy. Because you've been there and God has mellowed you. See, when we were young in ministry, and it's weird that I see myself as old in ministry now, because I still, in my mind, I'm still young. I'm sure I still look young to Daryl, and he remembers when my underwear was hanging out my shorts, and I was chewing on straws, and... Yeah, just yesterday. No, it wasn't yesterday, but... I'm almost 50, and it's hard for me to fathom that, and that's scary. But when we're young in ministry, we really haven't been through much, have we? And we're zealous. And we've got our Bibles in our hands and we're on fire and we think we know everything. Thank God for older Christians who smiled and loved me and thought, he'll get there one day. And they let me preach when I didn't even know what was going on half the time. They let me develop my gift. Now I'm getting to that point now where one of the ways you'll know that someone's really walking with Christ, they don't react. Did you ever notice how Jesus reacted so calmly? Oh, it wasn't because he was God. It was more than that. He had a relationship with the Father, and the Father was living his life through him. Martha, Martha, what are you worried about? Jesus, the boat's going down. You're worried about a lot of stuff. Didn't I say that if you believed, you would see the power of God? All the way through. Folks, suffering is a gift. Suffering is actually how you get your encouragement, the comfort, the participation in the spirit. We have tried to design a Christianity that says health and wealth and yellow brick road and we look at the Pharisees and their false teaching about suffering tied to sickness and, and, and sin, and we have the same doctrine. We just rephrased it. Now, I'm not saying you should all go out and walk in front of a bus right now so you can experience a relationship with Christ. <laughs> but don't run from it when he brings it in your path. Oh, are you all going to go through what Paul went through? Are you going to go through what I go through or what somebody else goes through? Some of you are going to struggle with health issues that others may never experience. Others are going to experience financial hardship that others may never experience. Others are going to go through relationship issues and issues with their children and grandchildren that maybe we never experience. We have a tendency to start looking and putting ourselves in our groups when we do that instead of Rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. Comforting those with the comfort we've received from the Lord. And stop looking down at someone and say, if you'd only done it right, if you just raised your children the right way, they wouldn't, this wouldn't. Be careful. Be careful. 
One of the ways that it will be obvious to people that you are growing in your walk with the Lord is not that you have all the right answers, but that you have grace and peace. Let me read to you James chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And tell me if these passages all of a sudden don't take on a whole new light. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hey, your dad just died. Please hear this the right way. In a weird way, something inside of me kicked in. Something inside of me became alive when that happened, because now it's time for the, my relationship to be real. It's one thing to preach it. It's another thing to live it. I'm one of these ones that in the, when it comes to the end times, I keep checking the news. Because there's a side of me that says when things start to blow up and people start shooting at each other across the globe and when things start glowing and people start positioning for the end times, I get excited. I don't know about you, but that part of me says, hey, now we're getting somewhere. What did we say, learn last week? We're not to pray, Lord, your will be done. We're to pray, Lord, this is what I want, yet your will be done. We're to come alive in this walk with the Lord. And when my dad died, in a weird way, in my spirit is a chance for the reality of Christ to be manifest. And on top of that, as I get older, now I can comfort others with the comfort I've received because now as I deal with what I do in ministry around the globe, I can say more than I could years ago. I've been there. Before I just had theory. Now it's real. Go to Romans chapter 5. Look at verses 3 through 5. Ah, start in verse 1. I have the hardest time starting in the middle of sections because it's all so good. Romans chapter 5, look at verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our what? In our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your dad died. Something good's going to be produced in me through this. I'm going to grow through this. It's not woe is me. Please do not hear me wrong. I miss my dad. I don't want him back, though. He's where we all want to go. He's with, him, with Jesus. He's with Mom. This is a good thing. We don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. 
if my faith doesn't work at a time like this, then it's no good. The only way to really move into this realm of really being of one mind and one spirit, by the way, I found myself as I get older just wanting to tell people I love them. Just wanting to hug people. I couldn't wait to hug Daryl. I hadn't seen him in a while. and I love him. He and I even shared a bed. <laughs> it's another story for another time. We don't have to ask you how you're doing in your walk with the Lord. We can tell. I don't have to tell you to go be of one mind. I want to encourage you to stop running from suffering and embrace it. You'll be proven that you're his. He'll give you a comfort that only he can give. We can't give it. Only he can give it. You'll experience a participation in the spirit that it can only can be experienced through that suffering. Guess what will happen? You'll chill out. You'll chill out. Father, thank you again for the fact that if we let your word speak and we stop trying to manufacture it into man's ways of looking at things, but just let it speak for itself, you show us so much truth. And Lord, even passages that we've looked at all our lives and seen all of a sudden take on a whole new light when you take us down this journey of really getting to know you more. Father, we love to say we're in a relationship, not a religion. My prayer is that that relationship will be experienced. That we'll live our lives in a manner of equal value or equal weight with what we preach. Oh, by the way, we can't do that apart from you. And you are calling out to us in love, just like you did for salvation. You're now from within us calling out to us, and you just say, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Which this is your worship. Would you stop kicking against the goads or against the pricks? Would you just let me do what I'm doing, and would you trust me? And tell me what you want, but then let me do it. And I'll walk you through this journey, and you will become more and more and more what I want you to be. And you'll look more and more and more like me, because I'll be in control. Father, thank you that if we look at Paul's letters even, in one of his first letters he wrote to the churches, he wrote, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yet by the time he had been walked through this journey of suffering, he no longer exalted his apostleship. He called himself the chief of sinners and a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. May that progression be seen in us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.